Hello and welcome to our Bodies, Our Voices podcast. This is Becca, one of the co-hosts. My co-host Joanna and I are two women in our 30s, and we interview individuals and experts on topics related to fertility, family building, career, exercising our voices, and more. Today is a special episode as I'm interviewing our very own Joanna, my co-host and friend. We cover lots of topics, including Joanna's decision to freeze her eggs, her planning and budgeting to do that, her considerations around accessing healthcare as a black woman, dating in the age of COVID-19, and much more. I'm grateful to Joanna for her vulnerability in sharing her journey and her experiences. Hello, I'm Becca. And today I have the joy of getting to interview our very own Joanna Miller, co-host of Our Bodies, Our Voices podcast. Hi, everyone. To kick things off, Joanna, I would love for you to just share with our listeners a bit about yourself, how you got passionate about some of the topics that we talk about, and then we'll jump in and maybe hear a bit more about your own personal journey. Yeah, I'm 33. I live in San Francisco. I'm single. For the last, I would say, 10 years or so, I've been very focused on my career, having fun with friends, hanging out, learning. And I would say back when I was in college, I stumbled across a book that was called, I think, The Magical History or The Surprising History of Being Born. And I picked it up and it was a popular science book just about how this woman had, as she was preparing for her own pregnancy, started talking to the different generations of women in her life about their different pregnancies and realized that there had been so many different experiences just 20 years apart. And the book just had this really concise but compelling history of how birth has changed and how our thoughts around it have changed. And even though it had really comprehensive sex education and reproductive education growing up, there were so many things that I learned through reading these stories in the book that I just was obsessed. And I started researching, you know, reproductive history, learning about midwifery, doulas, fertility, and even surrogacy. And it became became this pet passion of me that carried through until eventually I decided to go to doula training and become a volunteer doula. And I did that for a few years, and my passion for learning about women's health hasn't really subsided. I love that, and it resonates so much with me. I think I have always been passionate about women's health, and it wasn't until I read Tony Weschler's book, Taking Charge of Your Fertility, that I also just became obsessed with all things fertility and women's bodies and trying to figure out so much more about my own. And so, obviously, both of these experiences led us together to start this podcast, but I like that for each of us, it started with a book. So given where you are now, can you share what's your current status? How do you think about your fertility? Where are you in family planning? And what's next? I always thought I was going to get married and start a family. But there was part of me that knew that that was probably going to happen later in life than other people. My mom had me when she was 38. And she had a really thriving career before she had me and continued to work through my entire life. And so I always sort of thought of my fertility as something that I would take care of later, even though I was aware of all the ways that you could preserve your fertility and also some of the challenges that might come up as you get older. So right now, like I said, I'm 33. I haven't met anyone yet. And about three years ago, I started thinking more seriously about preserving my fertility and started looking into egg freezing. And the thing that really surprised me at the time was just how much it cost I think I knew that there were significant costs associated, you know, in the five figure range, but 
the reality of those costs didn't really hit me until I started to put pen to paper and plan out my own process. And at that point, when I was researching, I realized that, okay, maybe the thing that I should be thinking about is really getting a hold of my finances first. And so I spent about two years doing that, saving. And now I'm at this point where going into 2020, my big goal for the first half of the year was to begin and complete a round of egg freezing. And as soon as I was getting started to schedule appointments, we had this global pandemic hit (laughs) the entire world. Oh, yes, that. Exactly. And so, you know, over the course of the last three months, I've just sort of been sitting on this plan and really trying to understand, given the global health crisis, how this impacts my ability to freeze eggs. And also, to be honest, it's been even more uh, front of mind as a lot of my friends right now are starting their families, that this is something that I need to invest the time, energy, and, and resources into taking care of so I can have that peace of mind. Yeah, I think the peace of mind piece is huge. That's really what fertility preservation represented for me as well. So you are thinking about looking into whether you want to do egg freezing. I'd love if you can share what were the considerations that you went through to make the choice to pursue this as an option to preserve your fertility? One of the things I considered was potentially becoming a choice mom. I have a mentor who is an only child herself. And she is about 15 years older than me. So when she was in her late 30s, she hadn't met a partner yet. And she had decided that she was going to go ahead with egg freezing at that point. And she set a date in mind, I think around her 40th birthday, that if she hadn't met anyone then, she would go ahead and try to get pregnant on her own and become a choice mom. So those milestones passed and she went ahead and did that. And she had a successful pregnancy and now has a young son. And One of the options I thought about was, you know, well, maybe if I don't meet someone, that could be my choice as well. And she really counseled me that she felt immense relief when she even just went through with the egg freezing plan, even though it seemed like a big decision. And there were many other women that I spoke to who were anywhere from five to 10, 15 years older than me who had all decided to do egg freezing. And all of them said the same thing, which was my only regret was that I didn't do it sooner. And there were a handful of other women that I spoke to who hadn't pursued it and their fertility declined. And unfortunately, they reached a point in their life where it was just wasn't a possibility to take some of these measures. And so hearing these stories and really talking to people honestly about what they were experiencing made me feel like, you know, I'm the kind of person who likes to have an insurance policy. And this seems like one that's really important for something in terms of my life experience. That resonates with me a lot. One of the things we've talked about before, which Based on everything you're sharing, I really think of as a catch-22 where obviously for so many women, if you want the backup plan, if you want to freeze your eggs, doing so earlier in maybe your 20s or early 30s is really the best time to do it. And it's a really expensive procedure. And so, you know, I'm curious as a single woman who's had to consider how do you finance this? How do you think about this? It would be great just for you to maybe share some of your reflections or thoughts on thinking about this as an investment, maybe in yourself or your future. Yeah. You know, my boss told me who I have a really close relationship with at one point was like, you know, even if you can't afford to do it right now, I would recommend that you take out a loan. And even though that wasn't my choice or my decision, what I took away from her words was this is important enough that this should be a financial priority and not a secondary thought. And so when I thought about getting serious about doing this, there were a couple of things that I did. One is I started doing a budget 
And I started saving a little bit. Sometimes it was $5. Other times, if I got some unexpected funds coming in, I would put a little bit more aside. And this, I really thought of as my, you know, egg freezing money. And then as things got more serious, you know, I got a promotion at work and I did the thing that a lot of good financial advice and probably our parents say to us, you know, don't spend that money, put it away. And so that money became my egg freezing money. And the other thing I'll talk about is that I live in an expensive city, San Francisco, I think, you know, if not the most expensive is certainly in the top three or four. And one of the things that I've thought about is that, you know, what trade-offs am I making in the short term and so I think I can have the long-term future that I would like. And one of those is living with roommates. Even just saying it now, it's a little embarrassing to, you know, be in your early 30s and still have roommates. And there's a lot of good reasons why you have that. But whenever I think about potentially doubling what I'm about to spend on rent, I think, oh, is this money that could be spent, you know, just on a living situation? Or is this money that I'd like to invest towards my future? And every time that consideration comes up, I always fall with the latter. I really want to have the funds and flexibility to invest in my future, especially as I get older. And the reality is, is that, you know, if I do meet someone and have to pursue IVF or maybe other alternative family building mechanisms, I want to make sure that the reason that I'm not able to do that, it doesn't have to do with finances. I totally agree. For me, thinking about the cost of doing a round of embryo freezing last year, it seemed so expensive of just a one-time payment. And since then, I've done done another round. And I think for me, realizing how important having that optionality is for me, flipped how I thought about money and flipped just how I think of that in terms of where it fits in my priorities and like how do I make choices around it. So I think your promotion very much as I kind of started thinking about what's next in my career, I think of salaries and I, I look at take home. I'm like, okay, if I have to do IVF in the future, mm-hmm. what what can go towards that? And how do I think about that? Or even, you know, I kind of looked at which companies offer some of the benefits for fertility. And I think increasingly, it's really great to see how many companies offer that and how many people have options and support for the finances around fertility and fertility, et cetera. Yeah, you know, you raise a really interesting thing around considering a job and what benefits your job offers and how that might drive some of your decision making. That was one of the things that my mentor said to me when I was charting out my next five to 10 years. She said, seriously, even though you really enjoy the position that you're in, you might want to consider looking at roles at companies where they have these benefits, where they cover a portion or all of your fertility preservation or even IVF costs, because it really can be a financial burden. And I would also say that my entry to equity was really around reproductive rights. And as I've gotten older, I've also started to think more critically about how these expenses really impact women. And when you think about the data around how women are compensated in the workplace, I personally start to get really fired up because, you know, a modern woman who's being sent messages that they can you know, have it all and, you know, be successful in your career, build a family life, have a strong community, but also, you know, have to fight for equal pay. These things add up. And I think it's even more of an imperative for us to fight for equity in the workplace and in the world. I think you said that so well. I have had so many similar considerations of, you know, even before thinking of egg freezing or anything, I don't know if anyone's quantified it, but just thinking about the amount that women have spent on birth control out of pocket Or if you get into the egg freezing or whatever, you're having to buy really expensive ovulation kits and 
there's just so much more cost associated with even just like a $15,000 egg freezing. I recommend people are maybe in therapy also when they're doing this kind of stuff. Like there's just a lot and so much of it falls on women as well as like time. Yeah. Time out of the office. How is that perceived? This is also important when we talk about diversity and workplace leadership. You know, a man may not consider, um, especially if they are not married or partnered, that these are costs that someone would need to navigate and may not have a felt experience of why it's important for employers, if they're able to, to view their benefits through this lens of really what they're offering their employees. And it's been really great to be in an environment both locally here in San Francisco, and then I would say within the tech industry where there is some comfort in having some of these conversations, maybe in a way that's more open than in other industries or locations. Totally. Yeah. And I think I'd love to have some guests who maybe have had some of these alternate routes towards parenthood. Amy and Lindsay were such a good example of this. I have friends who are same-sex marriage men who either have pursued adoption or surrogacy, and those are really high costs as well. And so, yeah, it's really often like the men and men who are not in a partnership that ends up having fertility issues who may not understand or grasp a lot of these costs and burdens on women. Yeah. That, that makes me think of two other just compare and contrast stories that I have. In my previous life, I used to live in Ohio and I'm originally from the Midwest. And in the Midwest, things are a little bit different in terms of how people perceive the timeline of adulthood. And I remember talking to a friend in the last couple of years and she and her husband have been married for quite some time and they don't, they don't have any children. And we got to talking and I asked, you know, if it was a choice that they had made or what they were pursuing. And she shared quite candidly that they've been trying to get pregnant for a long time. And when I asked if she had tried any of these alternatives or maybe even thought about, you know, doing egg freezing or egg retrieval, she was really candid that that's just not something that was talked about or accepted in her family and community. And I could sense there was like some shame and also some lack of information. And it reinforced to me, again, just how much secrecy there is and how taboo some of these topics can be. And I think it's really important that we make sure that when we talk about these issues, that we acknowledge the circumstances that exist just a few hundred miles away from us. Might be very different cultural context to have these conversations in. A hundred percent. There's still a major lack of access to reproductive assistance for people just from a financial standpoint, as well as locations of clinics, everything. I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups around like fertility, infertility, et cetera. And the conversations are so interesting because women come from all over the US. And it's hard for me sometimes to see people who are looking for advice of like, should I do one more? We've already like remortgaged our house. But challenges with fertility can really, I think, bring people close to bankruptcy if they continue to just kind of go after a goal and it's not being achieved. So yeah, I think the more people talk about it or just know. And, you know, I do think it's tough that no one can tell another person, like, how do you weigh this or value this compared to other things, which is different for every person and couple. So going back to your plans, you know, you had gotten to a point where you're ready to freeze. And as we've discussed many times, COVID came. So initially when we started this podcast, that meant a lot of clinics were closed. Now they're open. How are you thinking about your timing 
whether you feel comfortable going into a clinic and what you want to do. I do feel comfortable going into a clinic and I thankfully have not had any illness. I've felt relatively healthy during this period of time. And one of the silver linings has been that I'm actually in town. One of my big considerations for doing my freezing this year was that there's, there was this window of time where I was going to have about eight weeks where I wasn't traveling. And that is a big part of my role. And I was excited about that so that I could sort of get this done, check this box. And the silver lining of this period is now no, none of that travel is going on again. And so I have a much wider window to plan my retrieval during. So that's a bonus. The other thing that I'm thinking about right now is really local transportation and choosing a clinic that is potentially within walking distance of my home, because provided there is a resurgence of cases around COVID or, you know, we go back to a more extreme social distancing policy, I don't want that to further derail my, my plans. And so it's interesting how sort of those timing and location priorities have shifted because of our situation. Totally. When I did my round in March, right as COVID was kind of becoming a reality, I planned an hour to and from my appointments and walked, which was crazy because I don't have a car. But yeah, it's important and you have to stay safe. And it's really, I think, particularly when you're in a round, you need to just do whatever you can to maintain anything around your health that you can control so that all the focus is just on growing those follicles and getting those eggs. One of the other things that I think is really interesting and which I didn't really know to think about before going into a round, but understanding, do you have a goal or expectations that you're hoping to get out of it that helps you think about whether to do the round? Like, do you need to get a certain number of eggs to feel like you feel comfortable pursuing this? understanding is that even possible based on how many follicles you have, but is that an equation that a doctor's walked through with you or something you've thought about? So I've been educating myself more on this. And to be honest, the more that I learn, the more fearful I am. And the more I have been sort of managing my emotions and expectations by not trying to get my hopes up. You know, I may have low follicle count. I may not have a retrieval that yields a certain amount of eggs. I would love, love, love to have 15 or more and hope that, you know, a good percentage of those freeze with the hope that, you know, again, a reasonable percentage would be able to be unfrozen and recovered and implanted. But I'm really, I think the way that I'm focused on managing expectations is to focus on the process and proceeding with each step and really just saying, you know, getting this done before I turn 34 at the end of the year is really important to me. And then based on whatever I hear from that, you know, whatever I find or experience at that stage, then I can make my next step. I think in the past, someplace that I have really struggled is scenario planning and getting really ahead of myself and making all these decision charts around if this, then that. And given what I've learned about stress's impact on the body, mental health considerations you need to have, especially if there are challenges to navigate, it's really important for me to be mindful and present about each part of the experience. That's great. I definitely think the mind-body connection is really real and particularly in fertility. You know, I think the doctors won't prescribe acupuncture or anything, but there have been studies showing that acupuncture is one method that helps just calm people and relax and can lead to better outcomes in fertility treatments. One of the things that I will mention as a Black woman, you can hear some pretty scary things about the disparity in care. And there's also, you know, quite a few reproductive issues that seem to have prevalence in 
Black communities. One example is fibroids. And the women in my family do have a history of having fibroids. And so just having these things in my head makes me predisposed towards being a little anxious about it and sort of assuming that there's something wrong. I will also share that I had an IUD for many years and pretty much from the time that it was implanted to the time that I had it removed, which was over five years, I had so many issues with it. And on a more, I guess, maybe spiritual level, it felt very strange to have something foreign in me. I was very aware that there was something in my body that was not natural and that was not something that I was comfortable with. And so what I'm carrying into this process is also some of these previous experiences where I just haven't really felt well taken care of, listened to, and being mindful that I don't want to manifest that as part of this process. I will let you know that the process of spiking up your follicles and your hormones so much so that you can get eggs out is really not natural. I remember looking at my numbers and seeing how much my level of estrogen had exponentially increased during my cycle and just being like, there's no way that this is at all natural. And it's not. And I think I was really wary and kind of cautious of this is not how my body is supposed to be set right now. So I'm going to be very careful before I react to things as I make decisions during this period because I am artificially inflated with hormones right now. Yes. Uh, so I think that's a valid and real concern. You brought up also your race, and there are lots of studies showing that Black women, particularly in maternal health and just women's health, have worse outcomes. So there's so much that has happened in the last few months, but I feel like you know we started having some of these conversations and first COVID hit, and then the Black Lives Matter movement started. And we talk about stress, but that has put you, I think, really in a difficult position as well in terms of as a professional Black woman in Silicon Valley who talks about a lot of these topics, so many people have come to you for advice. And so I'm curious how you think about just you know, the attention around some of these issues of access, inequality, treatment related to race. Have the events surrounding maybe the Black Lives Matter movement and some of these conversations giving you more insight or just perspective around some of those topics that maybe are not as top of mind at other times? Yeah, I've always been oriented towards learning more, you know, researching all of these things about fertility and pregnancy, you know, when I was far out from starting a family. And so I would say about five or six years ago, whenever that ProPublica report was issued that really detailed the disparity of outcomes for Black mothers, even controlling for education and socioeconomic status, having far worse outcome than other groups, really startled me into action. And the Black Lives Matter movement and the you know, fight for equal justice and equality in our law and attention on some of these issues has been no different for me. One of the things I'm really excited to see as a result of some of the groundswell is just an attention on how much inequity is sort of built into our system. Like a lot of folks, I, I think I have people in my community who are physicians or work in the healthcare space. And even just hearing from them the disparity between the reality of what happens in the hospital and how little time they actually have to have with patients and what you're sort of taught under your oath around providing care, hearing their own personal stories about that disparity has really made me feel even more passionate about advocating for myself and sharing with other people, maybe who are not of my same background or identity groups, what the reality is for other folks. 
I was really startled once by reading a story about a woman. It was a personal essay where a Black woman talked about how she made sure that when she went to see her doctor, that she wore her nicest socks and her best jewelry because she wanted to convey or signal to them, even when she was in her gown at the hospital, that she was someone who should be cared about and should matter. And I would be lying if I said that I don't carry that story in the back of my mind whenever I enter into a healthcare scenario. I want people to know that like, I matter, I'm educated, I have to advocate for myself, and that I don't want to be a part of these statistics around this. Yeah, I would say that's really powerful. And I, I'm curious, there's so many ways to think about challenges and failures of the healthcare system or just other systems. And I like how you brought up the piece of being your own advocate because that is something that you can train or that you can coach people on and you can give them resources and give tools so that, you know, I think with my background in healthcare, one of the things I've always struggled with is how often the system is broken and the incentives are out of line. But there is a hope that when you can change people's behaviors to help themselves, you can see improvements in the outcomes and you can see better results. So I, I definitely think that point is so on point. <laughs> that point is on point. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate just your candor around that and, and think diving into those topics was awesome. I want to move us towards another topic of interest, which is dating. And, you know, I think both just in general of how do you approach that as a woman in your early 30s in a city and San Francisco in particular, which has its own reputations for dating. And then we can also talk about just like, I know you've had to really change your approach to dating with COVID and what that looks like. Yes. I mentioned earlier that at one point in time, I considered, you know, well, what if I was a choice mom? You know, is that something that I would want? And the more I observed, you know, choice mom's parenting that I knew, the more I considered how I want my life to evolve over time, the more I've become clear that it's really important to me to venture into hopefully the adventure of parenting with somebody else by my side. I really want to grow a family with another person. And at the same time, I'm not going to, you know, be naive about the way in which that might happen. I'm open to a variety of ways, and I'm going to do everything I can do to preserve as many options as possible, which is why I'm pursuing freezing my eggs. That being said, as I get older, you know, as they say, it's harder to date after 30, and I've certainly seen that be the case, not just because the pool is smaller, but also because life is really happening. I feel like even with COVID, my life has never been so full of opportunity, both professional and community-wise. So just making time to find someone and really connect with them is sometimes challenging. And then sometimes when you meet people who are at the same stage of life as you, they've decided that they don't want to have a family or that's not something that they're putting a priority around. And so I think it's one of the benefits of dating at this stage is that people know themselves better. But that means that there are more things that you potentially are stubborn about or rigid about. And so you really have to have open conversations. And during COVID, I've been doing some online dating, which has been super fun and interesting. But I've also been practicing leaning into candor and being frank about, I'd like a family. I'm doing egg freezing. I probably won't want a family tomorrow or next year, or even two years from now. But I do want a family at some point. And it's important for me to spend my time with someone who feels like they're open to that right now. When do you bring up those conversations, particularly around definitely know I want to be a parent. Do you want to be a parent? Is that like a first date, a third date? When does that come up? I think it depends on the person and the situation. 
I've definitely talked with folks who are very clear and have sort of expressed or alluded to the fact that they want to be a parent, whether that's their enthusiasm for small children in their life or a niece or nephew or something like that, or just explicitly saying, yeah, like I want to be a parent. Hinge is one service that I've used in the past. And you can mark whether or not you're open to having kids or you don't want them. And I make sure that that is clear on my profile um, and visible that I want them because I don't want to waste anyone else's time. I also, I think in my past, probably thought I had more capacity to change someone's mind. That's something that I've definitely abandoned as I've gotten older. I don't want to be with someone who feels like they're being coerced into parenting or raising a family. I want to jump like feet first in with another person. And so um, bringing it up towards the first earlier side of the getting to know you has been my approach. Yeah, I forget with online dating, you fill out the question, do you want kids? When do you want There's so much information. I remember <laughs> I met my husband on OkCupid and I distinctly remember, this was like seven years ago, one of his photos was with a dear friend's daughter who was like two at the time and it was so cute. And I was like, oh, children, check. (laughs) We should talk. (laughs) Yeah, because it was so clear. But I think your point around making sure that someone's clear on that and not hoping that someone will change their mind is really good. I definitely know couples that have split up where after marriage, whatever, just they couldn't get aligned. And there was an expectation that someone would change their mind and they didn't. So yeah. I also, I think your point to like early 30s just being the fullest time of life is so true. And I think with everyone we've interviewed, it's so true. Just like it's this special period of life, even with crazy things happening in the world where we know who we are, we're confident in who we are. We've built a community where it's like, these are our chosen people. And it's no longer like, I don't know, we did X, Y, Z together and became best friends that way. But it's like, these are the people we've sought out and created relationships with. And it's a special, awesome time. And it's also kind of a pain in the ass that that's when women's fertility starts to decline. Um, (laughs) Yes. So Yeah. There's definitely a difference in my attitude, in my sense of possibility, where two or three years ago, it's like, oh, like there's plenty of time to do stuff. And now when I think about being 34 in a few months, I'm like, wow, that's, you know, 18 months away from being 35. And 35 is, that sounds old. It's not, you know, I know plenty of people who are 35 thriving and really potentially acting like they're 25, but it does start to really make the decision-making window feel smaller and the impacts and trade-offs of certain decisions more serious. And I I would be lying if that wasn't in the back of my mind. A hundred percent. So continuing with the theme of dating, for people who are kind of considering dating or I don't know, got out of a relationship, looking to get in a relationship during this time. Describe dating in COVID. (laughs) I might be biased, but I think that dating in COVID is not too much different than dating in regular time. You're still trying to figure out somebody's vibe, you know, what, what are their interests? What's their job? What's their community look like? But you're doing this primarily through a screen or just talking on the phone. And so one of the things that I actually think has been a benefit is that it allows there to be a certain level of intimacy that I think doesn't necessarily happen as quickly when you're out in the world and engaging in things and events versus each other. One of the dates that I went on, you know, I I assumed that all of the dates that I would go on would just be Zoom calls or phone calls or texting. But pretty quickly, one of the dates that I went on, the guy suggested that we go to a museum. And I was like, okay, um, 
sure, but like how 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 might we do that? And we ended up going to the museum's explore feature where there was sort of like a you know digital solution where you could pretend like you were walking through the galleries and you could click on different objects and paintings and things. And we took turns choosing what galleries we wanted to go to. And I was delighted by how fun it was, how it allowed me to get to know that person in the same way that you might get to know someone if you were really at a museum. And so that's been really exciting to experience that. The other thing too, and you know, maybe this affects women more than men, but like, I don't have to get dressed or do my hair or put my makeup on. (laughs) Like there's a little bit of that, but there was no, you know, calling an Uber or making sure I I wore the right shoes so that if we decided to go for a romantic walk, I wouldn't feel, you know, out of place or something. So (laughs) there were some things that made it easier. And the other thing too, is that you save money. (laughs) So when you're using virtual, virtual tools. But overall, I think it's been a really awesome way to get to know people. And also there's less pressure because so much is in flux. I love the museum idea. I'm going to try that just as a date night. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anything else you want to touch on? One of the final things I will say is that I actually think that there should be, and I think there might be a group that is advocating for this, or maybe it was an episode of a TV show or something like that. Actually, I think it was on the on the Mindy project. But I think that we should be advocating that women pursue fertility or egg freezing when they're in college, you know, have a payment plan, you have the time, your eggs are younger, hopefully more abundant at that stage in life. And that way, you know, it's this insurance policy that I think really serves that function versus creating this sense of anxiety a decade later when you're in your early 30s. I think just bumping up this timeline a little bit and making it accessible for young women to do that would really, again, create more opportunity. And the the thing that requires is education and advocacy. So that's something I'd love to create or see be created in the world. I have not heard for that advocated before, but I find that really interesting and compelling. And I also have so many questions around, like, how do you do that in a way that you make sure it's done morally and safely? I remember in college, just in the college newspaper, always seeing ads looking for egg donors Mm -hmm. where it was like, we will pay for you to freeze your own eggs if you give us a few. And I think there are a lot of women for whom donating eggs was a way to pay for college or pay for other things. And also at the age of 18, 19, et cetera, do you have the perspective or understanding of what is the impact on me? How do I feel about this morally maybe in the future if I don't use them or if someone else uses them or if I donate, et cetera? I remember sitting next to a pretty young woman who had donated a ton of eggs and she was – I was on a plane and she was like early 20s and – I remember being really in admiration of what she was doing and her drive to provide and create for other families and wondering, like, will you always feel comfortable with that decision? I have a friend who shall not be named. It's a man who paid for part of college by selling sperm and apparently just had really successful swimmers and they used his sperm quite often before setting maybe some rules around how often it could be used. And I think he has like, 19 biological children. And I remember him telling me this when I was talking about freezing eggs. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is crazy. And with all the different companies that do genetic testing, it's possible to create these webs of family and find people. And and so there's so many more considerations. Yeah. I I would say that's probably a 
a different conversation than helping women just freeze their own eggs for their own use. But similarly, yeah, how, how can that be done in an equitable way to make sure it's safe, it's protected, and women have it as an option and backup, but also set up in a way where they're not ruined financially, they know their choices in the future, and, and it's a safe yeah. bet. Yeah. You're just reminding me of so many stories. I also have a friend who donated eggs to pay for college. And from my understanding, they feel really positive about it. And they don't know if their eggs were used. But it was a choice born out of necessity, but also from values. Yeah. Yeah. Even I think anyone who's going in to consider egg freezing, embryo freezing, whatnot, also thinking about at least in this moment, what is my intention if I don't end up using these in the future? And that might change, but I know at least my clinic every year checks in of, are we freezing? What do you need? Do you still want these? What do we do with them? I think my choice was to donate to science at the moment, but who knows? Yeah, it could change. Anything else you want to talk about? That's it for me. All right. Well, I would love to end by asking you the same two questions that we ask all of our guests. The first one is, what is one thing that you've learned about your body? One thing that I've been practicing learning and relearning about my body is thinking about how I want it to move and what I want it to do and making sure that I'm creating the conditions for that to be possible. So one of those things could be just in in my movement and feeling comfortable, making sure I'm doing stretches. Another aspect of that has been the researching around reproductive health. One of the things, like I mentioned earlier, that really got me interested in this space was that I just didn't know that our bodies did all of these things. It was alarming. It was amazing. It was all of the emotions. And it really inspired me to learn more. And that's something that I want to be part of my my learning journey throughout my life. I never want to have the, the thought, oh, I wish I would have known that that was an option for me or a choice for me. And so I guess that to really summarize this, the thing that I've learned that that I keep learning is that I have so many choices about what I do with my body and I'm committed to making sure that I preserve as many of those as possible. Love it. The second question, how are you using your voice during this time? So starting this podcast with you has been something that's been in my heart for many years. And I'm excited that we are going to be able to share with people not only our own personal journeys, but also maybe elevate some of the stories, the options, and the alternatives that people can pursue for themselves and ultimately help people not feel so alone in some of these conversations. It's remarkable to me in the community of women that I'm a part of how well-educated we are, how well-traveled, how much experience we've had in life, and yet our bodies are almost like the eighth continent that is unexplored territory. So using my voice to demystify that and really celebrate that. One of the things I was reflecting on a few years ago is so often when you think about how the female body is described in the world, it's as a burden and it can be such a joy to have this body. This body creates life. Periods in particular. Yes. And that is so much negative. It's just so negative how it's described and how we think about it. Yeah. And it's a joy. It is, we have a true gift and there are ways to celebrate that and to have more ownership and agency over it. Well, thank you for sharing. Love talking with you. And it's nice to have a chance to ask you questions as opposed to just us talking with others. So thank you. 
This has been wonderful. I'm excited to be on the other side of the mic for once. <laughs> this is our Bodies, Our Voices podcast, and our guest tonight was our very own Joanna Miller. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Bodies, Our Voices podcast. This is Becca, and today I interviewed my co-host, Joanna. Our friendship has grown by sharing our own journeys related to fertility, career, and more with each other. And we hope that our conversations inspire others to chat more openly with friends about these topics that are so important for us to explore. To hear more episodes or to get in touch, visit ourbodiesourvoices.com. Catch you later.